This is the Adirondack Books and Beyond podcast. Here we go. Out a boy. Hey guys, how's it going? I wanted to hop on here before this podcast got rolling and just go over a couple things, kind of how this podcast lays out and kind of how I edited it up. So at the very beginning of this podcast, it's just us going right into conversation. You guys probably be like, what the heck is going on? Well, we were talking about um, the Biden administration and what they're doing over this settlement with Animal Rights Activist Group Center for Biological Diversity. Um, basically, what's happening, the long and the short of it, is that we, us hunters, are at stake of losing millions of acres of national refugee land, which is public land to us hunters. So we figured we have a platform. We'll bring light to it for, for everyone who does listen to this. And if you wanted to find out more information on it, just uh, what I did is I headed over to meateater.com. They have an article on it. Also, Sportsman's Alliance has an article on it on their website. Um, I made some false statements. That's why I edited it out. I didn't want to put that out there because it, I don't want to put false statements out there about something. And I didn't do enough research. So if you guys want to go check that out and find out a little more about it, go check those websites out. I also want to say that this podcast is a little bit sporadic at, at times, um, but I do feel like we went over some topics that created some pretty good conversation. That was being cell cams. Uh, we talked about saddles and even some deer habitat. So without further ado, here's the podcast, and I hope you guys enjoy. And I'm going to tell a quick story of made me think of Adam. I saw on Facebook it's a <laughs> it's a big bullfrog and he's under the water and it's like a, a picture of half under the water half above and it's just his eyeballs above the water and <laughs> it says when the game warden tells you that he saw you put a pile of fish in the boat and you say how'd you see that <laughs> it's just his eyes above the water. <laughs> well on that note uh welcome back guys to the adirondack bucks and beyond podcast got everyone here today ty Corey, brad adam and myself and uh like always, we're just going to have loose conversation here and shoot the shit for a little bit. It's funny because, Brad, I mean, I know you used to waterfowl hunt quite a bit. When's the last time lead was used for waterfowl? A while ago, right? I can't speak for other states, but it's been a long time. Yeah. It's all steel shot, steel or uh, bismuth. I don't even know if you can shoot bismuth anymore. Tungsten. Yeah. Uh, so lead shot lead. for waterfowl, it's been illegal since... Uh, legal nationwide since 91. Yeah. And they're trying to say that lead shot's the issue. It just seems foolish. Well, my, yeah. my, my big thing about it is the whole behind closed doors thing. Yeah. Like, the, why, why does it have to be behind closed doors? I don't know. I, I follow the Sportsman's Alliance page. You guys follow that. Yeah. They're, they're all up to date on everything happening, basically politically wise, with hunting and what the government's doing behind their backs. Like, why does that have to be closed doors? Why can't they have a court hearing where they could have actual hunters in the room? But they're like, nope, we're going to do it behind closed doors, and you guys don't have any say in it. I just don't – I don't understand that. But I guess the big thing, I guess, a part of this, this going forward at a national level is bad for not necessarily just the states that are in this. Exactly. But when, you know, give a little bit – you know, if you give an inch, sometimes they take try a to mile. take a mile. It's if the this, it, of it yeah, right. If, if, well, if this continues on, could affect more uh, more states along the way. The, which obviously, as a group of us here that absolutely love hunting public land, is something that you know we're going to be 
following more closely as it goes goes on. And, and you know, being being New York, very blue state, we, we obviously would hate to see public land, you know, hunting on public land be decreased. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing that they're saying. Like all these, I don't know. I've been watching along with like the hunting public and Pinhoti and all them there, and and Bo Martonic and all those guys. They're all being very outspoken of it, which is great because. You know, you don't know when it's going to come to your state. You don't. Like, if they're doing that in, say, California, well, New York's right behind California and basically everything they do. So, And we like to take trips to Mass, another another state that is very blue and very up-to-date on what other – they're following other, what other co- yeah. states do. But hate to see that. Massachusetts being right in our back door. I mean, that's a great little place to go buzz over to and, you know, doing some muzzle loading in and, and even turkeys, you know. Yeah. I hate to see – that get and decreased. Yeah, not mm-hmm. to get. We don't want to get political or anything on here, but I mean, I think it's we have a platform, and I think that it's important for us to talk yeah. about this stuff so everyone kind of knows what's going on. And honestly, like you guys can, whoever's listening to this, you guys can do your own research on it and look it up. We, I might have misspoken about a couple things on there, so if you want to really dig into that whole entire thing, go ahead. But it's right on the Meat Eater website. I have it pulled up right here about that whole public land thing. And uh, and don't don't be afraid to reach out to state legislators. They're there for a reason. Yep. 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 And the 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 worst part about this is thinking about it. And I know that a lot of a lot of you here have experienced hunting in states where deer population is out of control. Mm-hmm. And thinking about what that does. And again, uh, hunting in New Jersey, maybe some private, uh, a lot, a lot of public too. But looking at deer populations down there, in comparison to what it is up here, huge difference. And they're, they're they don't have a rifle season, you know, really, right? They're, no, uh, they have a shotgun, a, season, a shotgun season, no rifle season, and stuff like that. And the just the deer population. Like, how many people drive down the road and probably in New Jersey and see deer? everywhere yeah you start limiting hunters access to public lands deer population blows up just population in general of bears too and stuff like that starts going up real high oh well they're not hunting the deer that's great they're living great but now on your morning commute you're much more worried about hitting a deer Mm -hmm. and what i mean i would i think it's much more humane to take a deer out with a bow or a, a shotgun in the sense of new jersey and here in new york with a rifle putting it you know good clean shot the deer goes down vice hitting a deer with your car now mm-hmm. it's a three-legged deer with a broken leg and it's running around and that's just another that's just another accident that could be down further because they know that they can hang around the roads mm-hmm. not even not even that hunters are the biggest contributor contributor to controlling populations of deer turkey whatever whatever game yeah. species that is Without that, you know, all the, 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 prob- the problem is a lot of these people I don't think have a thorough understanding of what right. hunting actually is, like especially for guys like us who respect it so much. They don't understand that if we weren't there to do it, what would actually happen? Like you said with the car thing, that's not the only thing. How about food? They're, they would scavenge through everything in this area if there was no hunters. There would be no food for them, especially at this time of year. They would be getting disease because they're overpopulated. There's already disease spreading up through New Jersey and even into New York. There's so many variables that would be so much worse and so much more painful for them to go through than getting shot by a gun or a bow. Right. Right. So we we talked about it too. We talked about the winners up here. The winners, um, Brad and I talked about before some of you guys came, but the winners here, we talked about the difference between 15 years ago even to today. And, you know, talking about we had a brief conversation about a couple people going through ice, ice fishing and stuff like that. But you think back 15 years ago, 
look at how much snow it was a lot more snow it was snow you know you had um less ice and you know getting away from the ice fishing thing but that with the hardships that puts on deer right now oh yeah um but you know massive amounts of deer less of a winter you know they their their population doesn't going to see the decrease from a harsh winter you know right it, with with the winners that we're getting and then add to that a massive deer population yeah, i mean not good they're not just good. they're just gonna run wild i remember being in grade school and having to make up days at the end of the year because we used more snow days and we we're even allotted mm-hmm. that yeah that even happens anymore yeah that happened yeah. a lot mm-hmm. when i was even when i was in school and that yeah. was that was quite some time after snow, you brad we got, we got snow yep. yep yeah i mean you're talking like foot a foot of snow the snow we've got this year has hardly broke six inches maybe yep did you hear me, Brad? No, what'd you say? I said, that even happened when I was in school, and that was a long time after you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. God. So, well, I talk about that a little bit, and uh, some some other things that we we're thinking about here. I uh, was just, I was telling these guys, I just happened to be scrolling through YouTube, and I uh, was watching an old Michael Waddell video, and he shoots into, he claimed in the video, one of the biggest bucks of his life. And he double lunged it, and there was a gaping hole in it, blood pouring out, and the deer ran 250 yards almost and stood there for an extended period of time, laid down, and still didn't die. He had to shoot it again. And it I, it just got me thinking for hours, just like, these animals are so tough. Mm-hmm. Like, just think, just think of the buck that you shot this year. What was it? One long liver? Yeah. Yeah. One long liver, and it went how far? 250 yards. I thought it was over 300. Maybe closer to 300. No, it wasn't. It really wasn't that far in general. Just he went over some weird terrain and it, stuff. It is just amazing. Yeah. Like what they will what they will do after they've been shot. And then I started talking about with these guys about blood blood trailing. Mm-hmm. How... I mean, not that not that we've ever just given up on a blood trail, I don't think, but it just goes to show how far these deer will run, even with a vital shot. <laughs> they have a will to live. They, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, they're basically. I, I don't know if they're running off adrenaline at that point or, or what they are. Let's uh, let's talk about the broadhead thing a little bit that you were just talking about. I, I want. I know we've talked about it on here before, but Corey has been doing extensive research lately. That's not even really research. <laughs> I'm not putting my hands on anything. I'm just watching what other guys are doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, watch, I like watching. Uh, I was mentioning John Lusk Lusk Archery Adventures on YouTube. Just because I feel like he does a really impartial review on every type of broadhead out there on the market. Mechanical, cut on contact, single bevel, double bevel, doesn't matter. He runs it through the rigor, and I know people will say it's not realistic to shoot broadheads into concrete and steel or whatever. That's yeah. a moot point to me. Like, I don't really care. It's all the same testing throughout, and I just, I've been watching a lot of that just because for some reason the, the whole broadhead topic is one that strikes my curiosity. I like seeing what mm. different broadheads do and and the effectiveness of them. And he also does some testing on live animals as well. He lives in Iowa, but he travels all over the world. He goes to Africa, and um, I believe he's been to Alaska. He has a bunch of different videos of broadheads that he uses on animals. Is he a heavy arrow setup guy? Not overly heavy. 
Um, not that I know of anyways. He shoots the bishop arrows, which are stout, but I, they're not like crazy heavy. He also, I think his draw weight's like 75 pounds on his bow too. Oh, so wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have thought about that with, uh, it still amazes me that every year, I think Matthews, their new commercial talks about, you know, we're working on the oldest, one of the oldest, most primitive forms of weapons that were ever known to mankind. Mm-hmm. Which is and why every I love year them. we're still expected to make it better. It is amazing to me that they can make, I mean, how do you keep improving on this, the, only thing I think the same I think general they idea? Can do is it keep increasing draw weight with better let off? Well, that, that's exactly what I was, was getting at. Is I would be really curious to pull a 75 pound draw weight on a 2022 bow because I bet you it feels about 55 pounds. Well, I'm curious, like Joe Rogan and um, Josh, uh, big guy on YouTube there, him and his wife have a channel. Cameron Haynes? No. Well, Cam Haynes, too. There's a bunch oh. of guys that are shooting 80 plus. Oh, Bomar. They're all shooting 80 plus pounds of draw weight. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what does that feel like? I'd I'm, like to try his nose button. I would, too. Yeah, I'm just too. curious. Guys seem, yeah, guys seem to like it, and, and I'm already a nose um, anchor guy. Yep. So I'd like to try the, the nose button. I think I'm, it would I'm definitely. I'm a simplistic archer guy. I'd, I'm by no means a very good archer. I just enjoy hunting, and I don't know how people hunt without a kisser button, honestly. Like, I don't know how I would have gotten away with it in high-pressure situations. Never like, I just, mm-hmm. I need that to, I need to feel that. So, what I'm trying to say is, I think that nose button would be the same thing for me. Like, mentally, I would need to have that there to, mm-hmm. you know, when the deer's out in front of me, I don't want to have to think. I want to be able to feel it. Boom, I'm there. Let the arrow go. I'm yeah. Go- yeah, two things I won't hunt with when I'm archery hunting. I won't hunt with a ball cap on because no. I, if my... It's muscle memory, right? If my string draws back and touches the brim of my cap, it's going to screw me all up. So I, I always hunt with just like a winter style or beanie hat on, and I won't hunt with a face mask on when I'm when I'm bow hunting. I might wear one that I can pull down, but yeah, I got to have full contact with my underside of my ear and string touch, release under my ear and string touching my nose. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, I thought a lot about that. Like my consistency with shooting, I think has a lot to do with my inconsistent anchor points points, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. i mean that's a great point with the ball cap i mean i wear different hats if i do if i do when the deer is coming in yes push it up if i do have one yeah i push it up or i put it on backwards actually the buck i shot this year i could be wrong or not this year sorry my bow buck upstairs Mm -hmm. two years ago i might have had a ball cap on for him and i'm pretty sure i turned it backwards when he was coming in Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i i really like the idea of those kisser buttons i think i should probably get one i've never shot i've never shot with one Mm -hmm. they're just i've never stick yeah i mean it's just easy i mean we're very novice archers i mean there's no reason for us not to use them to help have everything in our hand or on our side to work in our favor you can you can you can put your stuff on ahead of the season you put your hunting clothes on and you can draw but it's still not the same especially when you're wearing a harness Mm. really restricts you mm. uh, especially when you draw back you like my clothes feel very tight on me like sometimes i really have to pull my my release hand back because you feel like your clothes are trying to keep you scrunched in especially with the harness on too i've never run into a situation where the harness connection to the tree got in my way mm-hmm. never done that i always keep it kind of loose though so i have some room to work with but until you're standing on a little platform in cold weather and drawing on a deer that's got you pretty worked up it's that's when you're that's when your muscle memory and you can sit there in the yard and say all right this is the shot well it's not the same yeah 
No, nope. you know, get you is. get you in that saddle, old boy. Yeah, see, and uh, that's uh, that's honestly a good point because I've definitely thought about the saddle, and I just don't know how I feel about it yet. Because I almost feel like, and this is just in uh, just my opinion, I've never done it, but I feel like your anchor point's not the same when you're hanging off the side of a tree. It's definitely different. It's definitely different. Like, how do yeah. you level your bow off? It's, I feel like to an extent, your bow is like almost there's a lot or whatever. There's a lot of bending what do you think when you're, you're when thinking, you're in a you're saddle hard while i'm saying that uh, don't yeah, you agree there's uh, a lot of bending but like i feel like there's a lot of bending at the waist yeah, when i'm in my saddle I don't, I don't find it detrimental um because i want to do it I'm i want to try like it. i'm trying to think of the most awkward position that i could possibly be in and that would probably be weak a side <laughs> weak side so for your, your righties would be to your your right side and for lefty it'd be to my left mm, side that's how i shot the chance yeah. bridge yeah or directly behind you but anything that you're shooting so for me my strong side would be the right side of my saddle from the right side to directly behind me all my bending is at the waist yes the anchor points don't change for me because i'm upright when i have when i take my bow off the hanger i draw my bow i'm upright and all the bending occurs afterwards as if i was standing on a platform which i am standing on a platform but i mean like an actual tree stand so for me I don't notice it being a hindrance whatsoever. And do you position yourself so that you're behind the tree from where you expect the deer to come in? Is I that do. the idea? I do. I do love the fact you can hide behind the tree. Cause yeah. That's 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 awesome. the ba- that's the biggest thing that yeah. I've noticed with with them coming in mm-hmm. is being able to hide behind the tree on them. Yeah. And th- then the when they notice you usually when you're doing that unless I mean they get your wind or whatever the factor may be but. Then they're like right there, and then they notice you. They're like, "Oh God, I'm right here." I mean, I used you know, to do the same thing with our lone wolves. When I when I started with that, I would set mine be my stand up either at like a 45 degree angle to where I thought the deer was coming in, or directly behind the tree. But then you're relying on them walking by one side of the tree to mm-hmm. get the right shot versus yeah. being able to move more freely in a saddle. Right. So if he if he does stop in front of the tree and turns broadside or the opposite side of where you are, you can actually position your body and swing around to the other side and make a shot. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually, because I set my – because I hunt with a lone wolf, mm-hmm. too, or even the hang-ons I put up ahead of time. I set them so that I have all my shots to my left because I'm a right-hand draw. Yes, but what that does is now it positions me so I'm looking completely away from the area I expect deer to actually come from. Right. So, you so you're, you're just looking. Yeah, you're looking to the left the whole time. So Brad, it, I actually so the day that you Corey and I went hunting, I watched that video, and if you were to be in a saddle when that doe came in, mm-hmm. I don't think you'd ever see it, dude. In the vid, like I mean, I don't know if you you've seen it, right? Of you standing on the platform when the doe comes no, I'm in. I'm sure I'm like silhouetted, dude. Like, so bad. Bad. So like bad. you see Corey and I, we're kind of like tight, like mm-hmm. tucked in behind the tree, mm-hmm. and you're just out in the open, and the doe's like, yeah, just hey. staring right yeah. at. Like, hey, I see you playing as day. Right. So we, we hunt a lot of open woods too. Yeah, I mean, mature. To be wo- fair, I w- I completely agree, but I would have killed her if it was more open. Oh yeah, you, you know, know that. Yeah, if it was better area, it would have been a good shot. But, yeah. but I but I agree. I mean, I'm sure I stuck right out bad. To go along with what you just said, there hunting the open woods that we do most of the time. And positioning yourself behind the tree with that saddle, I actually make it so I I hang my bow from my saddle itself or I hang it from a small hanger directly in front of my face so the bow actually sits perpendicular to my body. And doing so, it actually provides me extra cover so when those does are coming in and I'm, you know, I don't want to shoot them or whatever, I can scrunch myself up next to the tree and the, the silhouette of the bow with all the strings and cables actually breaks me up and camouflages me in well, a way. That's like when that's you another see, nice thing about you see, it uh, like. you see guys on the ground and they 
hold yeah, the bow right in front of their face. But speaking speaking of the ground, I want to bring this up too. So I and, and this is not from watching the THP all the time and stuff, or all these people who hunt from the ground. This is just my genuine opinion after hunting up in a tree for three four years now. I don't think I'm going to do much of it anymore. Oh, I just nice I I don't I don't like carrying all the gear in. I really don't. Yeah. I, I hate carrying all the gear in. I hate the time it takes to get set up in a tree. I'd almost rather just find a good some good cover or make good cover when I go in and hunt from the ground. Yeah. Like I, I just I, I don't know. It's some like towards the end of the season, I don't think I even put my saddle on towards the last yeah. couple of weeks of bow season. Oh, it's a lot of work. It's a ton the, the of work. The thing with the tactics that you see on T V is that you know, I, I did it for years growing up as a kid. You watch what they do on TV, and you shoot them, see them shoot these big bucks in Illinois, and then you go apply those same tactics on, you know, a 50-acre farm in New York. That, that's It's not the same. That's not how you should apply these tactics, and you make me no. think of it when you say it's not because of a THP thing. What you really should be doing if you're a new hunter and you see things on, on TV that work is if you can apply that to where you hunt, that's great. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to do it because you've seen it work some, uh, you know, out in the Midwest or whatever, and that has no application to you, you're just wasting your time. Yeah. Uh, and I guess what I'm trying to say with that is, if you can think of a spot where hunting from the ground would be perfect for you, that's awesome. But if you're just going into the woods and you're hunting a perfectly good tree stand area from the ground because you've seen somebody on TV do it, that makes zero sense, and it will. It, it, your luck will not right change because of that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, that that's kind of that's why I said like not from like like watching all no, these guys stuff. Exactly. The, the other thing, Corey and I lease are leasing a property now for just for bow hunting, you know. And uh, what we're gonna do is, I mean, I, I want stands set up in there just just for the simplicity of it, you know, mm-hmm. just in those natural mm-hmm. rut right. funnels. We're well, hanging those stands because that's what that property. We know is the pro- we know the do. property right. now. Right. We know where these deer are moving. I, honestly, there's probably still there's still questions out there. Of I mean, we've been hunting for three years now, and we still are trying to figure it out completely because right. oh, I think yeah. it takes you know. All these guys who say they walk into a property and like, oh, I got it figured out. No, you ain't got it figured out. There's so many right. different routes. And well, hunting hunting a swamp from the ground makes sense because there's a lot of places that are really hard to put a tree stand, and there's usually enough cover in there for you to disappear. Right. But to go hug up against a pine tree in the middle of you know the hardwoods doesn't make sense. Yes. Where, where it meets a softwood, yeah, that doesn't from the ground. That just doesn't make sense. To no. Do that. And they're gonna see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially with a bow in your hands yeah. versus a rifle. Yeah. So I've just I thought about that a lot lately, but what else we got? You can get you can get in tight though <laughs> when you're on the ground in a spot that it works. Boy, you can get in tight on them. I mean, and it's it's it is fun from the ground. I think of a hunt that Corey and I had towards the towards the end of the season. Was it towards the end of the season? No, it was it was in the no, middle of it, bow season. It was in October. I just got out of work, I think, and we only had a little bit before dark. Yeah, we shot down there, and we started calling, and had I didn't see him. Had but, a little two-and-a-half-year-old come in to it, grunt call. It was pretty sweet. Yeah, he and was, it was like, right there, like face-to-face with us. He was small, but it was fun. It was yeah, cool. and the, the right there, I was just like, oh, man, this is so fun, mm-hmm. versus being in a tree stand. Like, you're right there with them. Like, yeah. they are right there. Yep. So... I want to give that more of a shot. Mm-hmm. I just want winter to be over. Yeah, we're we're uh, we're dragging right now, guys. Yeah. We haven't been doing much. We don't have too much to talk about today. But I want to shed hunt. I want to yeah have some nice sunny, warm days, spring days, rolling into turkey season. 
Yes. Yeah, I'm just ready to scout. Yep. Yeah, scout, that's the big thing. Pretty much forgot about everything that happened for the most part <laughs> during the past year season. I know. Yeah. So it's kind of start, it's time to start building towards the next year's adventure, next year's locations that you're going to haunt and check out the places you didn't get to this year. and Fresh intel. The, the problem we're having right now is all the ice. Like I was telling you guys, Corey, I, I went out shed hunting and it wasn't, wasn't very icy. And then the next day I went out, Corey and I went out and literally we couldn't walk we couldn't walk up the hill like no. there was a tiny little hill we couldn't even walk up it because it was covered in ice yeah. I went so for like, a walk the other day i must have fallen seven eight times literally yeah, i couldn't stay on my feet between that so and the, between that and the wind the wind has been consistent for like two weeks yeah like just hard. howling yeah. the, the deer i'm seeing are healthy though yeah yeah, oh, yeah. i saw a doe the other day she's good and plump i don't know what she's been eating but she's doing fine yeah the deer I, I looked to, to be out of its misery the other night oh <laughs> got hit next to the house he was in good shape too but the little button box it's not funny but the, 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 it's not, it's not, story, but it's, it's not so, funny nice moment i look out you know we just rissa and i just moved into the house a few months ago and haven't really seen any deer well, I happen to look out like ten minutes left before dark, and there's this little bugger. He's not, he's munching on a bunch of bean pots because the farmer left like a ten by ten little section with beans. It looks so, like he just couldn't make the turn with the combine there, so he just left it. Yeah, yeah, too it tight, or it was too tight, right. something. So he comes over, he's munching. I'm taking videos, sending it to the boys. I'm like, oh, look at this little bugger, and he was healthy too. Well, Mama Doe and rest of the does come out of this little thicket and they run him off i didn't think anything of it well then i get a call from a buddy of mine and he's like hey my mom just came through and there's a deer that's injured in front of your house i'm like oh no i go out there sure shit it's him he's in a ball and he's all mangled and stuff so i had to put him out of his misery oh my god Kind of ironic that I took the video of him like 30 minutes before he got <laughs> Corey, hit. But. Corey says this is a video. I was like, oh, look at this little button buck out here feeding. 30 minutes later, he's like, yeah, that button buck didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to be here with us next yeah. year. Rip. So, but, yeah, he was healthy otherwise other than getting hit by a car. So, yeah, that was too bad. Yeah, they're, uh, I've, I've seen a ton of deer out feeding around. Yeah, yeah all they, those they seem south to be doing okay. hills and everything, getting lots of sunlight. Uh, you'll see it on like a nice thirty degree day. Anything that's facing south, the they are the out, the, out there. Out there, they're either bedded or they're they're munching and they're eating. They're mm-hmm. they seem to be doing good. We we had some rain, got got rid of a lot of ice mm-hmm. on everything facing south. So they're they're going to be eating pretty good here coming up. I'm sure if they hear a chainsaw right now, they're freaking in there. Oh like, as soon God, as that I chainsaw bet. turns yeah. off, they're probably right up in well, there. Well, when right I'm now. coming home from work and stuff, they're always in people's yards eating their sh- eating their shrubs and stuff. Yeah, that's where a, I've been seeing them all the time. A cluster of blowdowns on the one farm that i've been walking uh, right there to the entrance to the farm and every bud on the i, I think they're maples that came down uh, but every bud on the end of those Gone. those twigs chewed down to nothing i mean they are just hammered actually a guy i saw on facebook um i think their page is tag and brag i think i was telling you about it yeah those Ta- new york guys yeah, yeah western oh, yeah. new york right yeah oh yeah they shot did. some good bucks yeah real good bucks um he put up a cool video I don't know, a week or two ago, he went and he wanted to see how long a 
after he cut a white cedar down that the tree would literally end up being bare. And so he cuts one down, he puts a trail camera on, on it. And I don't quote me, but I want to say it was three days. The entire tree was bare. There wasn't a needle, oh, yeah, yeah. anything left on that. It was oh, just tell him about literally the trunk and a few twigs. Yep. Yep. They absolutely hammered it. Yep. That's I, how much they love and need browse. Yep. That's uh, I, uh, over at my property there. I, I have 20 acres and I was dropping hemlocks. Yeah, during the winter uh, and everything was nice. All the sap was nice and frozen. Great time to drop hemlocks. Uh, dropped them, left all the treetops there, and same thing. It might have been a week. Gone. Every single treetop. I think I dropped seven hemlocks. Probably pounded with tracks they, around it. Tracks were ridiculous. I, I did some shed hunting. Didn't see anything that's in there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, you guys that. As far as when you guys go shed hunting, is, is there any consistency as to when? Are they jumping over stuff, going through the tight stuff, or is it just so randomly falling off? So, two, uh, two, 2019, I was hunting with Bailey um, up at Farm We Hunt, and what I was calling for him, right next to the road, I looked down and found a beautiful mm. shed. So the next year, which was, well, last year, I'm with Brad. We're, sh- mm. we're shed hunting the same farm. Within 100 yards of where I'd found the shed the year prior, I found the same box shed monster. on the other side of the road, which was a monster. monster. So as far as consistency goes, that was pretty consistent. I yeah. don't know if that happened again this year. And the funny thing is, I was just up at this farm last week, and where Corey found the shed last year, there is a bed right underneath that tr- i mean complete like there's a worn uh, right out i'm sure yeah. it's that buck is if you uh, hunt a farm or have access to a farm too where corn gets left up or oh beans, yeah once the snow comes off go check it because those deer run their hammering when you know they're ready to lose their antlers and they'll be they'll be laying right out there i yep. tell the Corey match set i found was like that it was on a cornfield i tell Corey right all there. the time Corey like cory loves the wood shed hunt in the woods i love shed hunting fields I think you you find more in fields, but yeah. the best ones that I've ever found in the woods were always in the woods. Yeah. The biggest yeah. ones were always yeah. in the I, woods. I guess or in, in, yeah. in beds or in woods. Yeah. I found a lot. I found a lot in fields. But, yeah, rock walls. I mean, when they're jumping rock walls, they'll lose them. Fences. The I last mean, few years have been kind of weird because we really haven't had too tough a winter. So they haven't been cold. They haven't been snowy. And there's been sheds just in random places well, all over Jesus. The I mean, I found there was, what was it, two years ago, there was a I, I videoed a buck holding his uh antlers in march yeah i think it was so yeah. it's just super inconsistent when they're when they're dropping them mm-hmm. but yeah um but our, our northern bucks got a pretty good winter this year yeah there was, oh, there was snow dude, up there and it's been cold well that, yeah. that's a big thing again Corey and i talked about that on the way over now we didn't really get the snow here this year up north they did mm-hmm. but it's been so cold. It's been freezing. It has been freezing. Oh our, our month of January, I think our average temperature during the middle of the day had to have been 20. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah. 20. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and that's here. Again, we're talking where we don't have a lot of snow. You start getting up in the higher elevation, up in up in deeper into the Adirondacks. I mean, they're highs. They're in, in the, yeah, there's snow up there. I was up uh, up in the Adirondacks last weekend. and there's, there's just snow everywhere. Right? Yeah. Everywhere. How it's, much? And it's snow. They had had to have feet. A, 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 yeah. yeah. Over yeah. foot everywhere. God, I want to get up there and scout so yeah. bad, there's but still, I don't it's want. Be a while. Yeah. There, there's a couple spots. It's I was up for work the other day, and it was almost up to my knees. Yeah. There's still a fair bit of snow yeah. up there. And, oh. and we're talking. Uh, we're in that phase of weather where it's fall spring then back to winter fall spring back mm-hmm. to winter so we'll get yeah. some rain but i mean even what yesterday we got another 
two three inches of snow here. That yeah. was crazy um, too. It was oh snow. It was coming down. Yep, and it, it, we're in that. Like I said, we're at that crappy time where you want to get out there so bad. And the weather's cooperating, and then the next day it's not cooperating. Now yes. we got another dust. That's the worst. Plus, and that damn Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow, so we're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I want to bring up quick uh, how you were saying you cut all those hemlocks down. How important woody brows are. To, oh, yeah. to deer i mean that's how our northern deer survive yeah it just goes to show like they rely on that so much throughout mm-hmm. the winter months when there's nothing else to eat they can't scratch they yeah. can't claw down through the snow because like i said there's a layer of ice mm-hmm. and that's when those woody brows are so important someday i hope we can own a good chunk of property and do some habitat work because i'd love to experiment with some of the stuff I that we read in here in today's modern world of habitat management not food plots or any of that, you know, shit. It's no. almost kind of a thing of the past with some people. 100%. I mean, not not that food plots aren't great. I'm not trying to downplay them whatsoever. No. But there's so many other, like, restoring native habitat and yeah. stuff. That stuff intrigues me so much. Yeah, I me love too. listening to podcasts and watching and big videos. big bucks like native habitat because yes, they don't they expose do. themselves. Like, you put a CRP field next to a, you know, a 20-acre CRP field next, next to, to a 20-acre ag field. The deer are going to spend most of their time in the CRP field because they have the cover and the food all in one versus well, just having a, a, a cornfield that sure might have standing crop for a period of time but once the crop comes off really what's left i mean well, yeah maybe well, here's, some scrap here's but. a here's a prime example the property at Corey and i are leasing beautiful beautiful fields i mean they they eat in those fields all the time they love them but right next door there's a logging cut and those deer will browse through that logging cut all day i mean oh, i watch yeah. them i can't do anything 90, about it because they're on 99 percent the of their daylight activity is in that cut especially here because we're hunting dairy country so once the corn comes off or the alfalfa it gets cow manure spread on it and it gets tilled under mm-hmm. yeah so which is fine and that's how these farmers do it around here and that's totally fine but so our deer are very driven by natural browse yep yeah for well, sure I would love. Uh, I think that's why the urban deer do so well, though, too, because like all the places that there can't be developed are super thick, super nasty, d- high stem count, browse of every anything you can think of for them in these water holes. May, maybe the spots that don't get developed in the urban areas are the wet holes. So your swamps, and then everything surrounding your swamps. There's great browse along them. So I, I was walking a spot recently in an urban area, and it was a cattail swamp with a transition zone with like i don't know chest high head high stuff and then it goes up into mature oak forest and there was a browse line where the swamp met the the head high stuff it looked like somebody just took a weed whacker and walked across the entire thing for like 50 yards and they'd just been munching i don't know what what the stuff was they just munched everything off but i think that's why a lot of our urban deer do well is because the habitat as much as it sucks to see places getting urbanized that fragmented habitat's really, really good for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Really good. I know my parents just had uh, a couple deer, hard to say if they you know, shed bucks or not, but a couple deer in the backyard up on their hind legs eating cedar. Yes. Um, so, yep. you know, th- th- that also tells you that those deer are hard-pressed to find food right now because they're coming into the backyard and they're, you know, they're stretching for cedar browse, which really nutritionally do nothing for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something I, to feed their stomach. I was just listening to a podcast so recently about the power of native browse, and it was on the Land and Legacy podcast. But they were talking; they brought in, I think it was Doctor Will Goldsby, and basically in their findings, they're they're seeing that deer, even if they have the availability of other food at this time of the year, whether it be corn or apple, whatever the hell you know was left laying around, 
they're they're still going to prefer to eat that woody brows because um generationally that's what their bodies have been developed to consume during the hardest times of the year like that's what they process the best in their rumen and whatnot and i thought that was pretty interesting i mean it's natural to them i'm like these food plots that people are putting in you know like that's not natural stuff that they've eaten their entire lives like what generationally they never ate that think of 100 years ago what are deer eating Woody Browse. Like, mm-hmm. they're not going into someone's food plot that they made, you know? Right. It's interesting, too, because, I mean, up north, we're in the big woods. They don't have any of that shit. They're no. Eating, that's all they're eating. They're mushrooms and ferns and, mm-hmm. you know, browse off of some blowdowns, some, you know, old man's beer. Yeah, they have chili. a way more diverse. Way more diverse diet. And look at the antlers that they're growing. Mm-hmm. Look at the antlers. And that's without... You don't need a soybean field to, to produce mature deer or, yeah, deer, no. or big bucks. I mean, like, they're making, and that's in most areas without even acorn crops, you know? Oh, like, yeah, like that's... acorn crop, maybe on a good year, a little bit of beech nut crop. So. It, it, it's crazy. Um, what was that? I was just going to – oh, God, I lost it. I lost the thought. I was just going to say something along the lines of uh, – I'm just rambling right now. Oh, so. the mushroom the mushroom thing. I didn't know they ate, <laughs> ate oh, mushrooms. Bryce Taylor, post, did you see that picture he posted? Mm-hmm. Um, he posted a picture the other day, a guy that we know I thought was pretty cool. Um, somebody posted something about food sources on one of the pages and i think he commented on it that's what it was and he had two pictures of this tree i don't know what the tree was but it was loaded with mushrooms and the deer had been absolutely pounding this one tree eating everything basically up to head height or a little bit higher with mushrooms over the mushrooms and they stripped off the entire tree it was so cool the picture he had i followed a buck's track this year and he went up to the side of a tree and ate a mushroom that was definitely high enough for him to have to have jumped up and eaten it what a cool sight to see you know i don't know if he just jumped up and grabbed it quick or if he's putting his front hooves up on the tree and like reaching (laughs) for it oh that would be an awesome picture i I saw i saw um on on just a down log where they went and just put it down started eating the mushroom and i was like well definitely on the down logs because they they're a mold or yeah. a form of, mm-hmm. of what, fungus. What, fungus, excuse yep. me. And that's we're going to see your mushrooms grow Dude, the most. that is why I love tracking, though. Like, just going behind and, like, seeing what they did. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yep. Mm-hmm. I thought I was uh, – the, the picture thing you just said, I thought about that a ton. Like, I would love to, in the off season. I would like to get a new camera and a nice lens and just go track or do whatever and take pictures. Yeah. Like, you I think that would be really so – Really document the – you could document a northern deer's – diet yeah I mean, just to track alone to i see. think it would be so see fun eat the mushrooms and then they eat the i've seen them eat the beach brows and then they're gonna hit the old man's beard for a little bit and then they nibble some moss it's like you've seen them eat four different completely different varieties of food yep with, you know just a couple hours time. diversity then, is king though mm-hmm. and then they go Diverse. up and lay down in the in the late season there mm, go take, take a little nappy, nappy. right yeah. Corey? yeah <laughs> He's so sleepy. <laughs> uh, well, we're just kind of rambling on here. We don't have too much to talk about, but we want to hop on here and yep. pump, a, pump a podcast this podcast out. doesn't even make it to a podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. We really haven't talked about anything No. <laughs> no, not really. So we'll, got to give it a shot, though, in case we hop on something real good. And... TBD. <laughs> TBD. But who, who, we... Was, who, who had something brought up about um, cell cams? Someone said something want to talk about cell cams or something like that. Barely. Has anyone ever used one? What, um, I have cell cams. Oh, yeah. You have cell cams. Oh, yeah. Would um, is that something that you would put up in the big woods, up on a ridge? You have good, you have good stuff, or is that something you like to keep I'm more torn. closer to home? I'm torn because I I agree like with Brad what he says like the mystery of it all. Him and Adam our cat talked about it like the mystery of not knowing is 
awesome. Like, you walk up there and you could run into the biggest buck of your life. You could get skunked. You could see a scrub buck, whatever. My problem is, especially now with the kid on the way, I'm going to be handcuffed with time. I mean, my time's going to be limited to working around the kid and the wife and all that. And I don't see any other way to be effective, especially around here. Maybe not so much in the big woods when tracking and whatnot, because you're out making your own luck and just picking up the best track. But around here where we're hunting small parcels, I, I, I'm going to have to use cell cameras. I enjoy it. I don't personally, I don't see anything wrong with it because at the end of the day, unless you own your own property, you have a camera that you know is right behind your house or something it's not gonna make too much of a difference yeah it's not like it's not like i'm getting a picture and i'm running right out to the stand and killing that deer like that's not feasible for 99 percent of the people that right. use cell cameras for me it's just a way to develop intel so okay yeah i had this buck on camera for the last three days um two at night one in the daylight so tomorrow when i go in and hunt him i'm gonna base my strategy off of what i've been seeing rather than having to go out and actually physically check the camera screw up an area um you know, that's leave my, nice leave my footprint on a property that's only 40 acres like i don't have to do that with a cell camera and i think that's what's going to help keep me effective in a way and if that makes me a lesser hunter then so be it but i i really don't care Corey and i spend a lot of the summer and into the fall and throughout the hunting season just studying those pictures like yeah I, I just love studying. I like, just like, like pictures. what I just bucks? Like what bu- yeah. I, I love it. What bucks coming through here? Oh, I've never seen that buck before. Oh, but mm-hmm. what is he doing? Where's he coming from? Like, it's just like, like I've said a hundred times, it's a whole game in itself. But mm-hmm. like, I do agree. With, I, I've thought about that pretty extensively too, about what Brad said, and I. I, I think I agree with like the up north thing. Like, I don't know if I'd yeah. want to put a cell cam up there, just because it is like. Um, it's part of the adventure going back it, there, checking it, too. Yeah, it, you're it's, for it's what just like it's, I, I don't know, it, take, it almost, hunting experiences it almost takes, it away takes away from, like, the, the yeah. primitive aspect yeah. of yeah. hunting up there, which uh-huh. I like, too. So, I mean, I, I do agree with that, mm-hmm. but. Yep, yep, but no, I, they're a great tool. Yeah. They, they really are. They're, they're an awesome tool. Like, the farm that we lease, they're going to be crucial to our success there, really. I mean, yeah. I mean, they the, ha- they have the been. The other thing that I was thinking about was with the cell cams too. I think that is a a game changer for a lot of people and actually helps save a lot of deer. Is the fact that more people now know that there's the big bucks out there that they never once knew. Right. I mean, you think about our fathers. They didn't use trail cameras, period, back in the day, much less a cell camera. Oh, you see our dad. He's like a pig in shit with those I things. Mean, <laughs> I mean, think about that deer that was running around my parents a couple of years ago that just got killed this past year oh, exactly six and a half years old yeah you that's never, unheard of you would have yeah. never known he was there though if you didn't have a cell. Oh hell no so that's my that's my point i think a lot of deer younger deer do get saved because more people know that there are more big bucks out yeah. there than they ever once thought were you have you your know? you have your 40 acres that you're hunting consistently with a cell camera and you're going to get to see when that six pointer goes out there and when he walks by that camera all the time. Right. And then you're going to be like, oh, crap. Well, there's that eight-pointer that I've really been after. I don't have to. When you're out there that first day and you see that six-pointer go walk by, you're like, okay, well, you know what? I know. I'm going to give him I a know, pass and maybe next year he'll get it. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I know that there's that eight-pointer out there and I know what time he's coming and I can be out there when he's going On the by. flip side, I think it makes people more okay with passing deer, too, at least in my mind. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Like but you said, our, our, our father's go out there and my father's but uh, uh, too is like there's a nice six-pointer 
I don't know the next time I'm going to see a deer. Mm-hmm. I don't right. have any. There's, they, I don't know what else they, is they, out here. Right. They have no well, idea. And that's that's almost a good thing, though, because, like, with the only thing I'll say with the cell cam, and this is on a podcast, I think, I think it was a THP podcast I was listening to, but uh, they were talking about cell cams, and I completely agree with this because I dove. I, as you guys know, I fuck. I, sorry, excuse my language, but I dove so deep into watching the cell cams. At some points, I felt like I was basing my hunts off the cell cam, oh, yeah. which and it is so easy to do. Like when you have that instant gratification of okay, is it like I have to be there, I have to be there. Like who knows if I went to another? Maybe he was over here that day. Right. But I was so dead set on hunting this specific area because that's where I was getting him on camera. Not even in daylight mm-hmm. <laughs> most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It's a tool. It's just like everything else that we're given. It's a tool. And it's nice to see the crop for next year. You're seeing that, you know, you have that out there preseason. You got pictures of stuff, you know, when they're coming through. Then you get to see them instantly the day after hunting season ends, closes, you know, and you're like, ooh, he made it. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I missed a dandy buck with a muzzleloader one year, and uh, it was like uh, maybe July even. I was younger, so I was always out scouting a ton, and because uh, you, you know less responsibilities and everything. And anyways, um, went out mosquito infested night, and I found these two real big bucks on this farm that was always good, but it never had deer like this on it, not together either. So I put two trail cameras out, and I started getting pictures of these bucks consistently coming off this place that we call the pond, and it's just a brushy old pond that's grown in beautiful um, bedding habitat, and it's just surrounded by ag. And uh, so anyways, I know these bucks are bedding in there. Unbelievably consistent. They're a bachelor group of bucks, and they do everything together. Every time I get pictures of one of the other ones with them. Well, come about September, the cameras just go dead. I'm still a younger hunter at this point, so and I'm living off everything I see on TV where it's like wear rubber boots and, you know, CSI in there and cover your tracks and spray down your DNA and you're like yeah. crazy nonsense. So I didn't go back in anymore because I, I was afraid I was going to bust those bucks out of there. <laughs> If I was worried about my trail cameras, I would have told myself, well, these bucks are gone. I haven't got any more pictures of them. I guess I better start doing something different. Well, the day before opening day of muzzleloader, me and my dad were just out for a drive that evening. And sure enough, both those bucks were together again out in the middle of the same field. I'd seen them back there in early summer. I hunted there the next evening and, you know, like a Cabela's magazine in this beautiful alfalfa field. Here comes this beautiful buck. And I ended up missing them with a muzzleloader because I just, uh. you know, I had buck fever real bad when it mm-hmm. happened. And I was trying to shoot offhand. But anyways, I didn't trust my trail cameras. I went off, continued scouting. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I still knew those bucks were, li- I knew they were living on that pond. Whether they pictures of them or not, you that, that's they where they shot. were. Right. So you just, you know, you got to still haunt. You can't live off your cameras. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But oh, I've, I've seen so many times good bucks near one of my cameras that i never will get a picture of isn't that crazy how they just those big mature bucks i i had this camera out so i said i set the camera up for my ex whatever blah 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 well we had probably seven or eight different really nice bucks on camera over the course of a month i go in and hunt one day with my ball it was beginning of november and all of a sudden, this 130 class eight point, just a beauty, symmetrical on both sides, comes running by. I swear to God, he looked right at my camera, walked right by it, did like a big circle just to avoid it while the doe walked right in front of the camera. He would not go near that thing. So I'm like, what in the world? Saw him again. 
about a month later, did the same exact thing. He must have been living right in there, and I never once got a single picture of him. Like, those bigger bucks are so smart. They know how to avoid them. They know how to not to be detected, and I wonder how often that happens around here. So up at the farm, up at the farm release, in, that, in the right-hand corner of the field there, going on the logging road, I have the camera right there. And there, I, I've wa- I've watched them do it now from my tree stand. They will avoid walking uh, through the opening of the logging header, and they will walk down into that brush. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what that buck was doing when him and Chance came in, that eight-pointer. Yeah. Remember how yep. he walked down below the tree? They do that, and they come out that brush and walk the edge down. So my camera never picks them up. I've, I've watched them do it. So, like, yeah. they know, like, the cameras right there. I think, we, I think right the only there. way to get around it, if that even is possible, is just to get the cameras up high and out of sight. Get them out but of their I, line of I, sight. Even, even that, I did that over the summer. I, I climbed up on something and hung a camera and angled it down. And the deer still look like, like, first deer that comes to it is. Yeah, looking right up at it. Do you think consistent camera movement in a general area would help? I don't know. Like, just, all right, I got my tree here. It's pointed this way. All right. Well, let me take it to a different tree. Get a similar, you know, different tree in this. Like I said, same general area. Then you're running into the problem if you're just leaving too much of an imprint on the property, especially probably at the wrong times of the year too. Right. I think the biggest thing is is the scent, obviously, and just how well these deer know the area, know know their surroundings. Like they know when something is up. Like they know every single time. But at the same time, though, you have a heavy presence presence on a property. Like, I, I am always, uh, summer months, I'm always over at my property, firewood, cutting trees down. To one right. side other. And I, like you said earlier, like, they don't care if I'm running a chainsaw. I'll see them watching me mm-hmm. cut wood mm-hmm. at the All same right. time. You know, presence-wise, like, and I know a lot of people, you know, like, you know, you're bringing your dog out there and stuff like that, too. Oh, they're going to catch up on all that stuff. But, I mean, consistency-wise, on a 20-acre plot that I hunt consistently, I will be all over that place with my dog, and there are always by a couple of years straight now we've gotten a buck off of it just because it's their area and they, they know, know the it. difference right they know they, that like being after doing urban hunting i've i have no doubt that especially mature deer does and bucks they can differentiate between our our intentions i really i really truly well, that, believe that, that makes me that I mean, that just makes sorry not to interrupt you but that makes me think of up north with the hikers and your buck mm-hmm. that you shot into like mm-hmm. That buck didn't care that those people were screaming down right. the valley. Mm-hmm. Like he heard, you heard. It's better that they were talking. Yeah, you. If, like, they, if he was just hearing noise and there was no talking, he probably would have felt pretty uncomfortable about that. But that just goes to like how comfortable they are with their areas and what they know about their areas. I, like, yeah. they I'm know also that. a pretty firm believer. If you gave a buck a pencil and an aerial map, you'd probably be pretty surprised at how well he knows you. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. he, if you just said, "Here you go, tell me where you see all the human activity," he'd be circling the parking lot. In your trail camera and your stand, and he uh-huh. would—he knows those places. I'm not saying he won't trip up and go by him close enough to shoot at him, but there's a reason he's avoiding it because he spends 24/7, 365 out there, and for some reason, every time he comes to the corner of that field, he picks up an odor or something, mm-hmm. or he hears that the same little clicking noise all the time that he never hears anywhere else. He knows what's going on. Uh-huh. And your big bucks that are overly cautious are the ones that are avoiding that. Mm-hmm. Corey, where did you find all the sign when you walked up the other day on the yeah, property? The, the lease. We went, I went to the lease. I parked, and I'm walking up through, and I'm like, man, there's a lot of tracks right here, like right at the parking lot. And sure enough, right behind the well, the bunks, that's no big deal. I'll yeah. say where it is, but right behind the bunks from where we park, 
there's a there's a trail that was beat down like a highway. Rubs. Rubs. Um, I, I couldn't confirm, but it looked like there was an old scrape up there. I mean, a rub line going right onto the neighboring's property, and that's where all the sign was, yep. right there. And then I walked that little, little patch of woods, same thing, clusters of rubs all over. I continued up and went to where we normally hunt on the property, and sure, there was a little bit of sign, but nothing like I saw right there. Right, right next to the road, right next to the parking lot. Right next to a house. Right. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. He's never he's never been shot there before. He's never been uh, he's never seen other deer get bumped out of those bunks. All he's ever seen is tractors. He sees trucks come and go and he I mean, that's genius. If you were him and you knew that predators existed, wouldn't you want to know where they come from? I know mm-hmm. I would. Yeah. It is just unbelievable like how closely deer relate to areas where they can closely monitor humans mm-hmm. or any activity at all. Think of the Corey and I go down to this area and shed hunt in, in a in a urban setting, or yeah, urban yeah. yeah urban setting, and literally the deer were betting how far from the buildings. Oh, they bet right next <laughs> they to the They buildings. bet right yeah, next bet. to the buildings. We found a giant rub, or it was a signpost. Was it was it a signpost? Yeah, it was. Could have been. Yeah. We were. I think we were unsure about it. I mean, there's a tiny woodlot, not even an acre. Oh, very e- It was, and there. It's really a strip of woods. It's probably twenty yards wide by about a hundred yards long, mm-hmm. and it's giant nothing, rub. and nothing other than just a weird offset piece of cover, and there was just a gigantic rub on a cedar in there. That buck is literally living next to the buildings, watching people in the parking lots, watching the workers come and go. Right, and then he goes and does his thing under the cover of darkness. Sure, never had a picture of him. Never seen him in person. Never found a shed. Well, the thing is, why would he? Why would he have to go anywhere else? He could see everything that's going on from right there, and if he has to, then he could retreat to. The, oh, and there's to three, the, like three or four beautiful white oaks in there, so I'm sure it just rains down acorns. He can just p- pick at them throughout the day. Nobody yeah. bothers them. Yeah. Which is why they know that they know that that's there's human activity there. And then, like I said, you go we go up to the big woods, and you're walking through somewhere, and that deer's like, I don't hear that walking through my area at this time of year right yeah i never i don't hear that up up here mm-hmm. they know like you said they know that trails down there they know that the hikers are down there then i'm up somewhere else and you know, like, yeah, up exactly. on top of a, a mountain that's got nothing else on it they no hear, hikers they hear a twig they're break like, yeah well that's unusual yeah and they're on heightened alert a hundred percent hundred percent like i'm i'm sure like where we had our tent set up you know before we had our tent set up they could have been in there, and now, you know. I mean, they, they were. They, there was rubs around. <laughs> rub, rubs, rubs around it. Now we go back up there. Deer activity could be there, absolutely. But now they're going to kind of get a sense of okay. Well, we know that these guys come in here consistently. This is where they're going to be, and then they're going to know that you know when they hear us up there, they're going to be like, okay, well, we got eyes on them now. Like, we know that they're up here, and we know that they, we can kind of expect them here. Sure. I live up on a hill here, so the wind blows a lot. So the house creaks a lot. Mm -hmm. And even just in my own home, especially at night, I know the creaks and cracks that I normally hear. Exactly. But there's creaks and cracks sometimes that catch my attention, and I stare out into the hallway just just for a minute. You know, not a minute, a couple seconds. Just make sure no shadow coming down the hall. (laughs) But that's what a buck does, too, when he's laying in his bed. Absolutely. He hears a crick and a crack that he's never seen, but he's going to... He's going to persistently watch that area now because there's no reason for him to look anywhere else. Right. And that's when he sees you coming. Oh, actually, he's way down there, but time to get up and move. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's 
absolutely no different. They're, yeah, they're always into. I mean, especially the, the older bucks. Like they always know what's going on yeah, and they, what's yeah, going on. Twenty-four-seven, three-sixty-five. They're on. They're on alert. They're How surviving. interesting is uh, anybody see Hal's new videos that he's put out? There? I haven't. Yeah. I, I, I watched one of the old ones of the TV series that they were putting on YouTube. Another story in comparison to Adams when he talks about uh, that buck that circled back behind him while he had the fire, mm-hmm. basically bedded down and watched him. Well, the buck that Hal kills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched that one. Yeah, yeah that was the and, old TV uh, series one. Yeah, well, same thing, though. That buck only goes 100 yards or so, and mm-hmm. then I don't I don't remember the exact story I have to watch again. Anyways, this deer did not go far. He bounded enough to put some distance between the two of them. Watched him. Yeah, watched him for a bit, and then, you know, just started walking off again. But and- when it comes down to tracking or even still hunting, if you bump a buck, just give them just a minute, especially if you're still hunting, because you could probably keep sneaking on them, mm-hmm. especially if you're going to try and get out and around them if you're hunting in the rain or something. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they won't always go that far, especially uh, though, especially deer up north where uh, they don't run into hunters a lot. He's just going to put some distance between like he's done with every other predator, and you'll get another look at that deer. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. that's two, two really experienced hunters that have stories about bucks um, that they end up killing. Absolutely. That, uh, yeah. That Adam, go far. Adam says that we got to have do another podcast here at some point. Oh, did yeah, as yeah, awesome. We definitely like, got to give some yeah. we we'll definitely have to put some good time in between so we can come up with some <laughs> I'm excited to have Adam back on. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, I guess I'll probably about do it for today. Yeah. We're just can, we're can just Can we can we back. do one more thing? Yeah, what? Um I know I know growing up one of the biggest things for me was when youth turkey season came around. And that really lit a fire under my ass. And it's our turn now to do that for somebody else. Absolutely. So, any listeners out there, if you have someone of legal age ready for their first turkey hunt or second turkey hunt, youth season, (laughs) feel free to reach out to us. We're looking for youth hunters. All you got to do is make sure they have their license. And uh, we'd like to do a meetup first. Uh... Gun safety, safe gun handling is huge for us. Uh, we'd like to do a range day. Yes. And who knows, maybe it'll end up on the YouTube channel. Oh, well, I, we already got one person. We already got one uh, yeah, 12-year-old girl. Awesome. Um, yep. Sweet. She's locked down. And I, I, reached out, I'm, I reached out to an old 4-H instructor. He's going to get me hooked up with the coordinator for Saratoga and Washington County for the uh, shooting sports. I don't know how many we'll take. I mean, uh, obviously, I don't know if you guys are going to be available or. I should be. You should uh, be. So we I got you. Be. I mean, yeah, I'd so like. We, we, we can at least probably do two. I would know? do uh, two or three, I think, yeah. would be would, would be, be a good number. Well, well, it'll yeah. be to be determined, but two or three people, and we already got one locked down, so. Mm-hmm. Reach out to us. Yep. yep. Looking to. Facebook, uh, Instagram. Looking to instill a little bit of, you know, luck in the, the younger community mm-hmm. you know get them out there and Absolutely. hopefully have some success and the, the ever we all know that once you get your first it can it can just take off from there and you, you absolutely can get, you can get absolutely i don't want to say addicted but you can become very passionate about uh, the hunting uh, and at, from from a young age instilling like you said adam the the weapon safety and the what the hunting is all about and going out there and doing it and actually having success at it is a great way to reach the younger generation and continue you know, uh, continue yeah. this trend of hunting and, um, like I said, advocating for what we want and being able to access pu- mm-hmm. uh, public lands, and that, that, that's huge. I'm personally very, very excited to take a youth hunter out. Like, I think, I I just think back to when I was a kid, like, if someone were to, I mean, not that, like, I didn't have the opportunity, I guess, but 
if someone were to take me out, like a group of guys like us, like that would be, and then even add getting maybe mm-hmm. a turkey on top of it or hearing a turkey gobble, like, mm-hmm. dude, that's a big deal for like a young kid. Like that makes them really excited. Well, and it's going to be fun for them. usually prime time when the youth weekend falls. Yeah. Ter- they're, they're so yeah. It's, oh, the, best, yeah, it's so. the best weekend by yeah. far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, I, I've been able to take two youth hunters out and been successful on both of them. And even, I mean, <laughs> Bailey, it is so, it is way cooler when your youth hunter kills a bird than you do. Mm-hmm. It is oh, so gratifying, mm-hmm. especially when it, it's one that made you freaking work for it. Yeah. Oh, it well, I, I, was, I was talking to a guy um, who, who were taking the daughter out, and he's like, well, she's, like, super excited. And I'm like, awesome. This is going to be so much oh, fun. Cool. I told him, I'm yeah. like, we're going we're gonna to film it and stuff. And he's like, oh, absolutely. So I think it's going to come together. It'd be, it'd like, what I want to do is, like, so like, if we have two or three people, we'll give you guys camera, you guys camera, I'll take yeah. camera, and all of us have a camera, and just kind of do, like, a back and forth. And I already got it planned out in my head, mapped out, but I just think it'll be a ton of fun. I think is it'll be a lot of fun. Is he going to tag along as well, Dad? I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I told him that we'll get back uh, back to him closer to closer. In April and cool and get it all figured out, but yeah. awesome stuff to look right. forward to. I yep. think got a lot gonna, coming, so yeah. Stay I think tuned. that's gonna wrap it up for today. I don't even know if we're gonna post this. <laughs> no, we will. We will. We'll, we'll, we'll put it it's out there. Yeah, we'll we'll put it out there. Hell with it. But uh, as always, uh, go give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all under Adirondack Bucks and Beyond. Have a good one.